for the past few weeks, we've been talking as a church about our church, uh, thinking a little bit more about the type of church that we want to be. You know, what is it that God wants to do through Genesis Church? What is it that he wants to do uh, through our lives? We know our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. That's our mission statement. And uh, I'd like to invite you to say it with me. We've said it every week for the last couple of weeks, helping people find their way back to God. Uh, That is the what of who we are. We believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world Uh, to die for sin, to die for you and me, to give us life and to give us hope. And it's part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ as a church uh, to share that message with others. And because he loves us, uh, we are called to share that great message. Uh, And so that's what we are about. Now, sharing that message takes time. uh, It takes people. It takes a facility. It takes resources. I wanted to begin this morning uh, by giving you a little bit of an update Uh, of where we are uh, with some of our financial goals for this year. So if you have a bulletin, if you received it when you came in, you probably found that there was a handout in there uh, that we've entitled Ministry Plan, Year-to-Date Ministry Plan. I also have a copy for the screen so you can follow along. If you don't have your own, I believe there are some extras back at the Info Hub uh, if we did run out. But here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about what we call our ministry plan. Now, some places call it a budget. I think that's kind of a stuffy word, and so we call it our ministry plan. But if if budget works better for you, then you can call it a budget. But at the beginning of the year, the elders of this church uh, prayerfully considered and set what we believed would be some financial goals for this year, uh, for 2009. And we believe that every penny given uh, is given to help us live out our mission as a church to help people find their way back to God. And we give because God has given generously to us. Uh, We give because God has called us to give uh, and to live generous lives. And I want you to know that as you give to this church, it's my desire, it's the desire of our elders that we manage these dollars carefully and faithfully so that we can reach as many people as possible. Now, our annual ministry plan for 2009, if you look at the top right-hand corner, uh, was that we set our ministry plan goal at $505,000. Now, this is what it takes to do what we feel like God wants to do through us. Now, if you move to the left, you will find that that puts us at a place where year-to-date we should be at 347000 in order to reach that goal. Now, continue even further to the left, to the year-to-date actual, the amount listed is that to date, we as a church, you and I, have given $3,757,000 to date. Now, don't get alarmed by this, and I know that we all read the bulletin and we see the different updates, and I don't want you to look at this and go, wow, you know, $47,000 difference, you know, we're in a deficit, you know, we're behind, we're in the hole on all of this. What you need to do now is to continue uh, going down the bottom of the year-to-date actual to the total ministry expenses to see that to date we have spent $296,000 as a church. And so let me say this, we are not carrying any deficit uh, we, are, we are not borrowing any money in this uh, in what we're doing. Uh, and I hope you will be encouraged to know that as elders and as staff, we carefully spend each dollar given. All right? Now, I will tell you that naturally I am a tightwad. All right? And, and I don't know if you're like me. My wife would be quick to tell you, yes, that is the case. He is, he is a tightwad. And so it's always been a part of my nature uh, to be a tightwad. And when things tighten up around our house, you know, my wife and I, we watch our spending. We cut some coupons. You know, we do things a little differently. And I'm sure that many of you uh, do the same. And so as a church, 
we've been doing the same, and we've just been very careful. And as you sacrifice and give to this church, please be encouraged to know that the elders and the staff are committed to being very fiscally responsible with every single dollar given. Now, there's a section of this handout here in the middle that we entitled Ministry Expenses. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through each of these, but, but I wanted to kind of give you an idea of how we break down our ministry plan according to the different areas that, that require some funds. Uh, and it's here how you see all this breaks down. Now, Again, um, we've got everything that you would expect as a church to have. We have uh, insurance expenditures. We have payroll. Uh, there are facilities costs. Uh, you might be interested to know that we pay $8,500 a month to use this building. We lease this building, and so we, we pay that payment. That's about one Sunday's offering every month that just goes uh, towards us being able to fill this room, to use these offices, to use these classrooms, to invite other groups in uh, throughout the week. Uh, we pay for the gas bill, you know, just like you do in your home. And, and that, in the wintertime, can at times run as much as $3,000 a month. Uh, it's a tough bill to pay, but when you're in a big building with high ceilings and stuff, uh, it goes up. We get some surprises, you know, an air conditioner will break once in a while, and we have to pay for that. Uh, two weeks ago, we were surprised uh, to find that the, uh, the tax man had increased the property tax on this building, and our portion of it was an additional $7,000 for this year that we weren't expecting. Uh, maybe some of you have gotten some things like that in your business or your homes. And so this week, uh, we will be paying that additional $7,000 that we weren't quite expecting. But again, uh, we're thankful that God has given us the funds to be able to do that. And, and so we pay every bill, and there are other things. I mean, money goes to pay for supplies and curriculum and animal crackers and coffee and bagels and, and toilet paper, and all of these are important in many different ways. Um, but let me tell you about some exciting things uh, that we've been able to do as a church as a result of your generosity. Uh, earlier this year, we had the privilege of getting to know a young missionary family that have given their lives to serving uh, in an area just outside of Mexico City. And they had to come home from the mission field uh, because their funding had fallen short. Uh, we got to know their story. Uh, we've built a relationship with them. And back earlier this year, we were able to make a gift to them to help them get back to Mexico City. And so I'm excited to tell you that this morning while we worship in this room, there's a missionary family just outside of Mexico City that's helping to lead uh, some of that people into worship too. And we got to play a part of that. Uh, we've been able to invest in marriages in our church and, and help some couples that, that wanted to seek some professional counseling or a marriage conference, and, and we help them to be able to do that. We've, we've invested in people by helping with professional counseling uh, as needed. We invest in our middle school students and high school students. Uh, we sent a number of kids to camp and to conferences this summer, and, and for some it was just making it, getting it to a price where it was affordable, and in some cases the only way that a student could go would be if we paid the whole thing, and we did. We didn't even hesitate. We want to make sure that, that our students have that type of an opportunity. Uh, many of you volunteered with the Faith, Hope, and Love Service Project uh, that took place for a whole week. I think we had 50 people on that Wednesday in July that served in and around this community. Well, not only did we give our time physically, uh, but we also supported that project financially and helped to provide some of those resources. Uh, we've put food on people's uh, tables. Uh, we've been able to uh, help a family, you know, get the gas from being turned off in their house. And, and I, I want you to see that, that when you give, you know, when you're generous, your money goes for more than, you know, even this building, as important as it is, and to utilities, 
but you give to people, and your gifts enable us to meet some of the real needs in the lives of the people around this church. Now, my desire is that we will be a generous church. You know, I would love for our reputation in this community to be for people to say, that's a generous church right there. Uh, they love God, they love people, and they're very generous. They show it with their actions. And, and I don't want to do it with just our financial resources, but in our time and our efforts too. But my desire is that we will give as much away as we can. And I wonder, can we do more? I, I mean, when we get to this point, you know, in the year, I just wonder, you know, can we do more? There's, I think we can, and I'd love to see us be able to do more. I mean, if you look at all the way to the bottom of our ministry experience, our expenses, you'll see that there's one category uh, entitled Outreach. And, uh, you know, this, is, this, this money uh, is the money that we'd like to spend to be able to help missions, missionaries, families in need. Uh, if you move one step to the right, you'll see that we've budgeted three, we've spent $3,708. We actually would like to be at a place where we could say we've spent $23,000 uh, at this point. And, and we, we've fallen short in that. Uh, and it's a big step. And my hope is that we will get to a place as a church that we will give at least 10% away every year that we ever take in, just giving beyond us, uh, giving beyond our own needs here. But, you know, unfortunately, we haven't been able to give to where we would like because there are some fixed expenses that we have to pay. And in paying some of those fixed expenses, we haven't been able to be as generous as we like. But I believe we can get there. And I believe that we need to get there. We must get, get there. It's what God wants for us. So let me say this to you. Uh, thank you for giving. And I really, truly mean that because, you know, God, my prayer has been that God would provide for every single dollar that we need uh, to do his work here in Noblesville in Hamilton County. And I know that some of you have made some great sacrifices in your giving. And I just want to say thank you to you. We've been able to pay every bill uh, to meet every need. And, and when you give, don't give to the gas bill. Uh, don't even give to the property tax bill. Those are important, yes. Uh, don't give to the Coligan man, you know, but, but give. Uh, give because you love God. You know, give for people. Give towards life change. Give because God has given generously to us. And, and so I, I think we can accomplish our goals. And, and so many others, if, if you and I are willing to do something, even right now, uh, and as we take a little bit of an evaluation of where we are, I want to invite you to kind of have your own personal evaluation too. Would you be willing to pray this prayer? God, what is it that you want to do through me uh, to help meet some of the goals that you've set for my church? I want you to invite to you to do that prayer on your own time. Would you be willing to pray that? And for those of you who sacrifice and give faithfully and generously to this church, you know, maybe even, you know, for, it's, it's willing asking the question, God, is there anything more that you want to do through me? You know, can we increase our giving? Is, is there something else you're calling us to do? Because the goal, now hear me when I say this, the goal for us as followers of Jesus is not to get to a certain percentage and say, I've arrived, pat yourself on the back and be done and check out. You know, our, our challenge is to continue being generous uh, in our giving, the way that we invest our time and our resources. You know, maybe you're new to Genesis, and, and we've experienced some great growth, you know, over the last eight or nine months. And, and I can realize and understand that for some of you, especially if you're coming from other churches, you know, maybe you haven't started investing in the ministry of Genesis Church yet. Uh, can I give you permission to do so? Uh, can I give you permission? Because here's what we believe. We believe that God helped us set this goal. And I believe that God is big enough and he's great enough and he knew that you were going to be a part of this community with us and that you're going to be able to help us achieve uh, some of these goals that he set before us. And lastly, you know, I, I know that there are some of you that probably, you know, don't give. It's a challenge. I mean, my wife and I have been there. I mean, when we were early on in our marriage, uh, giving was a new thing for us. And I know that it's hard. And I know that it's easy to look at it and say, well, I give zero. 
how do I jump to 10%? Because they're always talking about 10%. That's just a guide. That's just an example. I mean, maybe for you, you know God's working in your heart and you've been feeling a pull and you've been thinking about getting involved. And maybe, maybe it's just even to say, you know, I can do 2% right now. I mean, that's a start for me. I want you to know that God will bless that and God will bless you for it. And I believe that he will work in your heart. And so you just, you pick where you need to start and, and God will bless it. Now, I'm not going to apologize uh, for giving you a financial update or talking about money in our church. You know, this community, this church, we are a family. You are a part of it. And I feel like you deserve the right uh, to get an update from time to time on where we stand. And, and if you have questions, you know, I'm always available and our elders are available uh, to talk with you. But know this, it's not about us getting to the point where we can pat ourselves on the back about how much we take in. You know, it's not about us getting all excited and about patting ourselves on the back because, wow, look how much we gave away. It's about you and I getting so passionate about God's love for us and our mission as a church to reach lost people that we find ourselves continually asking God, God, what more can you do through me? How can I give more and more of myself to you? What do you want to do through me? I want to tell you a story this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn uh, to the book of Genesis. Go to the Old Testament, the first book, and turn to Genesis uh, chapter 28. I want to tell you a story. It's an old story, and it, again, it's as old as the first book in the Bible. It's in Genesis uh, that we meet a guy by the name of Jacob. Now, Jacob had a brother named Esau, and their father was Isaac. So we have Isaac the father, Jacob the son, Esau the son. Jacob and Esau were brothers, and, and before Isaac dies, and he was about to die, um, his plan is to give a blessing to his son Esau, not Jacob, the main character that we want to talk about today. And, and after a series of events, Jacob found a way uh, to trick his father into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. And, you know, you and I are kind of like, well, big whoop, big deal, it's just a blessing, whatever. Well, in ancient times, it was a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal to receive the blessing from the father because the blessing involved the exchange of property. It, it involved the, the family name and ultimately the approval for a father. So we may say it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal to these guys. And Jacob stole the blessing. And when Esau found out that his brother stole the blessing, he went up to Jacob and said, you know what? When dad dies, I will bust your head open, all right? And so, I mean, it was a direct threat to his brother. And Jacob knew that Esau was much bigger than he was and that his brother had a little bit of a temper. And so he decided it was best to get out of Dodge. And so he's on the run from his brother, all right, fighting for his own life. And on top of that, as he's on his way out the door, his mother said to him, you know, Jacob, it's about time you get married. All right, and maybe some of you have had your mother tell you that before, but that's what she did for Jacob. And so he's got two things on his radar. I need to get away from my brother, and in the process, I need to find someone to marry. So he gets out of town as soon as possible, and he's got both of these things going on. So Jacob's on the run. Some commentators say he traveled as much as 500 miles away from home. But remember, he's not only running from his psycho brother, he's keeping an eye on the ladies too. And uh, we find here in Genesis 28 that he's going to have a, an encounter with God, a life-changing, life-transforming experience. Here's how it begins. Genesis 28, verse 11. It says, when he, this is Jacob, reached a certain place, he stopped there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. Now, if you notice in the very first part of the verse, it says that he reached a certain place. 
I want you to keep your finger on those words for just a second because I'm going to come back to them in a moment. But it's a big part in the story. All right, he, he comes to this certain place and he lays down on the ground. He uses this rock for a pillow. Now, that doesn't sound very posturepedic uh, to me or anything, but that's what he's got. And, and so here's what he does Jacob dozes off and he's got this weird dream that he's going to have. Anybody have any weird dreams? Any weird dreamers in the room? I had one last night. It's a funny story. Tom, you'll appreciate this. You know, uh, I was hunting. I don't hunt. You know, I've never shot and killed anything. And, you know, for the men in the room who have been questioning my manhood, you know, hey, you know, hey, at least he's dreaming about hunting now. And, and I shot a buck in my dream last night. And it was, I think it was like a 24-pointer or something. It was awesome. And, uh, but I'm not kidding. I, I shot this deer in my dream last night. I have no reason why. Maybe it's because we had Italian beef for lunch yesterday. Uh, I'm not sure. So I, I have this weird dream. My dream uh, is about shooting a buck, but Jacob's is a little different. And in this dream, uh, he sees a ladder coming down from heaven, and there are angels ascending and descending from the ladder, and then next God speaks. Again, Genesis 28, uh, verse 13. It says, there above it, above the ladder, stood the Lord, and he said, now God is speaking, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, that's Jacob's dad. I will, give you your, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, and your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so that's Jacob's dream. And notice what God says. He, will, he says, I will give you and your descendants the land you are lying on. Now, I don't know if you see how this kind of intersects with the situation that Jacob finds himself in because he's got a brother who's trying to kill him. He's all over eHarmony looking for a wife. And God says, I am going to give you and your descendants this land. Now, to have descendants, you've got to have two things. You've got to be alive, all right? And you, you need a wife, too. I mean, Jacob needs a wife. I mean, they're both sort of important for this occasion. And so God, God is saying some great things. He's making a great promise to, to Jacob. He's saying, Jacob, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to get you through this. Your brother's not going to kill you. I have a wife in mind for you, too. But, but it's just so much more than that. I mean, he uses the words, God himself, I am with you. I will be with you every minute of every day, wherever you go. I mean, so this is a pretty big deal for Jacob. I mean, God uses this dream to assure Jacob that he is going to lead him down the right path, that God is going to get Jacob through this challenging season in life. Now, go back for a second, if you would, to that first verse that we looked at, that phrase that I pointed out a second ago, because where does the Bible say he had a dream? The Bible says that he had a dream in a certain place. Now, the truth is that a better translation of that phrase, a certain place, is really the phrase, any particular place, no particular place. Uh, any old place will do. There is nothing specific about this certain place. Any place will do. No place special. It just happened to be where Jacob stopped for the night, and it's in this any old place that he had a dream. Now, look at Jacob's response in, in verse 16. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, wow. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Now, why is this a big deal? 
Well, because up until this point, this time and place in history, the prevailing idea was that gods were only found in specific places. It took a particular temple. Uh, It took a particular high mountain. Uh, It took a particular shrine or another particular location. And all all of a sudden, Jacob has this experience in the middle of nowhere, in this any old ordinary place, and he experiences the God who is available anywhere and everywhere. Now, maybe you and I can look at something like this and we can acknowledge that we're much more sophisticated, smarter, more spiritual than Jacob because we know that God is omnipresent, all right, that he is everywhere and anywhere at all times. But can you say that you always live like that? I mean, are you like me at all that you just kind of get in a rush at times as you're going through life and as much as you know that God is available anywhere and everywhere at all times to you. You know, when life gets a little messy or gets a little hectic or gets even a little routine, we can forget that God is there, that He's available to us. You know, are are you reminded of that when you're at the office? Are you reminded of that when you're with a woman who's not your wife? When you're having a tough day at school or a rough morning at home with the kids? I mean, this was a big deal for Jacob to realize that God is available anywhere and everywhere at all times. And I think it's a big deal for us too because I think this story can do a lot for us if we'll let it, that the implications are great. Because when Jacob comes to this certain place, it's no different than any old place. It isn't that God just happened to have an opening in his schedule and showed up here in the middle of nowhere to meet Jacob. It it wasn't as if this was just Jacob's lucky day that God had chosen him and that he showed up to meet him. I mean, God didn't just show up and happen to bump into Jacob, the truth is that Jacob really bumped into God. It it was Jacob who who showed up. God was already there. He'd always been there. He's always available. And I think right here he proves to you and me that he's always available to you and I as well. And what could that do for you today, if you'd let it? To know that God is available, that He is always present, that He's ready to have an encounter with you, an experience with you. I mean, what what could that do for your story? What could that do for your life or, or your marriage? What could that do for your fears, your frustrations, your loneliness? What could it do for your doubts? I mean, you and I can't get away from the presence of God. And Jacob had all this stuff going on in his life, and this mess was obstructing his ability to think clearly and sensibly. It didn't even cross his mind to turn to God, but then he had this dream. And when he realized that God was available and dependable, it changed everything for him. Look at verse 18. It says, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and then poured oil on top of it. So he takes this rock that he uses as a pillow. He sets up an altar. He pours a little 10W40 on it, you know, a little Quaker state. And then this rock becomes a physical reminder of the supernatural presence of God. And then Jacob says a prayer. And these are important words. Look at verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow. Now, these aren't just words. Jacob is making a promised 
to God with his life, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then what does he say? Then the Lord will be my God and this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. This is a vow that Jacob makes before God. It's a personal commitment. And with this vow, Jacob is saying, you know, God, since you love me, since you provide for me, since you have promised to be there with me, I am going to live my life for you. You will be my God. I will live for you. Everything that I have that you have already given to me belongs to you. And so God proved his love. He he proved his ongoing availability and dependability to Jacob. And moved by this love, he makes a vow to live for God, that God has proven his love to you and me. You know, he proved it to Jacob first, he's proven it to you and me too. You know, what, what, what can we take from this? I mean, he, he, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on our behalf. And because of that, he promises his availability to you and me. He promises his dependability to you and me. He wants to be there for us. He wants to have a personal relationship with you and me. And so like Jacob... You know, as Jacob is realizing God's love and his everlasting presence, and Jacob makes this commitment, he makes this promise, you know, I wonder what you and I need to do. As we're reminded of God's presence and his work in our lives, what commitment, you know, are you and I willing to make to him? And it really has a lot to do with what we want to become as a church, who we want to be. You know, as we talk about the type of church we want to be in our mission, you know, to help people find their way back to God. You know, as we talk about that, and and I've said this before, but you and I have to realize that nothing happens as a church unless you and I realize that we have to become something. You know, I like what a pastor said one time. He said, the church is not an entity in and of itself. The church is people. And if people don't change, nothing gets changed. I wonder if we'd be willing to make that commitment that nothing gets changed unless we change. We can't change anything anything. We can't live out our mission as a church unless you and I are willing to be changed. You know, Jacob arrived at this great crossroads in his life, this great intersection of opportunity, and it's where we sit today as a church. I mean, we're sitting at this intersection of opportunity. We have so many great possibilities in front of us as a church. And so as Jacob made a commitment, I think we can make a personal commitment too. You and I, with our lives, we can make a commitment before God. And so this morning, I want to share with you the first of three commitments that I would like to see you make in your life. You know, for those who call Genesis Church their home, and you say, you know, I want to be a part of the mission of this church. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. I want to invite you to make these commitments. And I want to talk with you about one of them today. And as you make these commitments, you know, not to this church, but to God, you know, you say, I want to follow you. You know, God, like Jacob, you will be the God of my life. You know, this is the type of people that we want to be. So there are three commitments that we want to make as people. They all happen to begin with the letter C. I want to share with you the first one this morning. It's this, as Jacob celebrated the remarkable promise that God is available and dependable, that God is a God who walks through life with us, you and I can celebrate that too. And so the first C, the first core commitment that we love everyone who calls Genesis Church their home to make 
is this. It's, it's to celebrate. It's just simply the word celebrate. It's celebrating God's love for us and his work in our lives. I mean, we want to be people. We want to be men and women, students and children who celebrate the love of God and his desire to have a personal relationship with us. Now, let me show you maybe what that can kind of look like in your life. The first one is kind of an easy one. It's kind of practical, but it's you and I making a commitment to worship together every single weekend. That's celebrating God's work in our life of being a part of Genesis Church, you know, of knowing and understanding who we are and what we're about. It's making a commitment of saying, you know what, I'm going to be in worship. You know, you know how easy it is to, to show up when it works out for your schedule or if you wake up on time or whatever. But what if, you know, for you and I, worship became such a part of our life? You know, it became a part of you finding your way through life, you know, that you were able to make a commitment to come into this room with us once a weekend to celebrate God and the great love he has shown to us in Jesus. And when you come, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to come expectantly. I want you to come expecting to hear from God. Be ready to experience God because God has made himself available to us in Jesus Christ. So be ready to hear from him whether it be through prayer or, or through a song or through our worship together or through silence, you know, through a conversation with a friend over a cup of coffee and a cinnamon bagel out in the cafe. You know, it all counts. But come expectantly. Come prepared to experience God. And he is by no means contained to this building. But he is here. And we will worship him as a church. And don't worry about what others think, but make a commitment to worship God with us and let's do it together. Now, I want you to know that we have a commitment as a staff and as a team, as a part of this, you know, that we're going to be prepared every week, you know, prepared to lead this church, prepared to lead our students and our children when it comes to worship. And, and I'm going to do my best as your pastor and as your teacher to make sure that I am studying, that I am listening to God, uh, and that I am following his leadership. And I want to be ready to preach the word of God. You know, the, the, one of the pastors that I served in Louisville, Kentucky, before coming here to Genesis was a, a guy by the name of Bob Russell. And, and Bob, just in the last couple of years, retired from Southeast at, at a young age. Uh, he's still got some great ministry in him. And uh, he, was, he, he was at Southeast 40 years ago when there were 200 people meeting in the basement of someone's home. Now, I don't know how that quite worked out. I might have my locations mixed up there a little bit. That doesn't sound reasonable. Probably a fire code issue. But anyway, there are 200 people, and, and Southeast has grown to a church today of almost 20,000. Now, if you talk to Bob, that was never the goal. That had never crossed anyone's mind. But God just continues to do a great work through that church. And, and when I sat down with Bob for breakfast back a couple of years ago when we were talking about preaching, I just said to him, I said, hey, you know, what, what would you share with me when it comes to leadership, when it comes to preaching? And he looked across the table with all conviction. He said, I'll tell you this, preach the word of God because when you preach the word of God, stuff happens in people's lives. And, and I want to live by that. I'm excited to tell you that Bob Russell is going to be our guest speaker in just a few weeks uh, he's going to be here to speak on Sunday, November the 1st. You won't want to miss it. He's a, a fabulous preacher. But we're going to preach the Word of God here. That's going to be our commitment. And this means talking about stuff that we like to talk about, and it also means talking about some stuff that always isn't as fun. And, and we're going to do some teaching series that are specifically designed to reach lost people uh, in the community, but we're also going to talk about issues that directly affect followers of Jesus today, things that we face every day. And the Bible will be our guide. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting and training, or teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so my goal, my personal goal, is to always be reminded that there are people in the room who are new to all of this and who are far from God. And so I want to be very careful in the words that I choose and in the language that I use or that we use as a church but we're not going to not talk about certain things because we think it might offend someone. I mean, we have to talk about these things, and I I feel like we owe it to one another, but I also feel like we owe it to our guests too. They need to know what we're about and what we stand for. And so we're going to celebrate God's love and forgiveness in every service. Uh, We're going to celebrate life change through testimonies and baptisms, and we will always leave time at the end of every single service for a person who wants to make a decision for Jesus Christ. That's part of our role. That's part of who we are. So what does it mean to celebrate God's work and love in our lives? Uh, To start with, it's you and I making a commitment to come prepared, to come expectantly on Sundays. But there's something else. Look again at verses 21 and 22. Uh, Jacob says, So that I return safely to my father's house, and then I love these words, then the Lord will be my God. There's some great power and some great conviction, a great commitment that Jacob's making here, which kind of leads to the other thing that I want you to be thinking about, and that is that, you know, can we we develop meaningful, you know, regular rhythms of personal individual celebration? And what that simply means is it's about making God a part of our daily life too. That it's not just about what we do in here on Sundays, but part of celebrating God is worship on the weekends together. But it's you and I making a commitment to celebrate God's work in our lives every single day. Um, I have to do this. I have to be reminded of this. I I had a friend give me this book recently that's just really helped me, uh, a book that I listed it in your program called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry. And I don't really understand what that part means. But, but the book, you know, has been a great, just a great reminder to me that life can get so fast. And it's easy to just get caught up in the race or the routine of everything and forget to just take time to slow down and be with God. And this book has really helped me in my journey. And so I want you to know that, again, celebrating isn't just what we do on Sundays. It's making ourselves available to God the other six days a week and not hoping that God just shows up, it's becoming more and more available to Him. So what does this look like for you? You know, it's you making a commitment to get alone regularly, you know, by yourself just to be quiet. You know, it's learning to pray. It's making time to read your Bible, to study God's Word for yourself. And it's not doing these things so that we can, like, check them off a list and go, wow, now I'm finally a good Christian because I do these things. No, it's about you and I coming to a place where we so rely on God that we have to find time with Him every day because He sustains us, because we enjoy the time with Him, because we're reminded of His love when we get alone with Him. It's how we get our sense of our direction. Our commitment to this as a church, you know, we want to provide for you resources that can help you better know and understand God. You know, and for us, connection groups that we've been talking about are are a vital, important part of building relationships with one another. But I also want us to be intentional about the types of studies that we choose for our connection groups. You know, soon we're going to start groups for new believers or people who are just seeking out God for the very first time in their life and, and just have some great questions that they want answered. Uh, We want to provide opportunities for people to grow. Again, it's not just about what we do here on Sundays. I mean, your walk with Jesus can't just be about Sundays. It's about our commitment to live for God the other six days of the week too. 
And as a church and as your leaders, I, I, and you know, as connection group leaders and as friends and as volunteers, I hope we can support one another in this. Because here's what happens. Do you know what happens when we, if we get committed to these, if we get committed, committed to celebrating God in worship, if we get committed to celebrating God in our daily life, you and I will be changed. And we may not quickly understand it or even seeing it come, but as we make ourselves more and more available to God, I believe that He will make Himself more and more available to us. And as this happens, you know, not only will your life be changed, but our church will change. And all of a sudden, helping people find their way back to God will become more than something we do or talk about. It'll just be something that naturally flows from every single one of us in our everyday living. And we won't be able to stop it. And so at Genesis, we want to raise up followers who who celebrate in weekly worship, who celebrate in everyday living, and who celebrate, you know, God's love for us in Jesus. And so I'm going to tell you about three things, three core commitments. Again, the first one, celebrate. I'll kind of leave you hanging on the other two, but you might be able to figure them out. We'll talk about the next one next week. But there's one more thing that I want to talk about this morning that I think might have to do with us celebrating God's love together. And then we're going to wrap up by taking communion. Verse 21 again, so so that I return, Jacob says, again, this is his vow, his promise to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, he says, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, understanding that God was available available and dependable was a big deal to Jacob, and, and he celebrates God for this. And in doing so, he, he makes this great vow, this great promise, you know, God, you will be my God. But he knows, Jacob knows that this is going to involve more than worship and this is going to involve more than his daily living. And I think it's interesting to note that Jacob makes one final pledge here. He says, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. God, because of what you have proven to and done for me, I am going to give you a portion of what you have already given me. And so for, this, for Jacob, this was a way of him acknowledging the Lord as his God and his king. And that is what you and I do when we give our own financial resources to the work of God through a place like Genesis Church. I mean, when you give, you celebrate God. You celebrate Christ. And we acknowledge the Lord as our God and king. And so I want to tell you as I wrap up here, about a few unique opportunities that we as a church have to be able to give to right now. Uh, The elders of our church met this past Thursday for our monthly meeting, and we were looking over our current financial uh, situation, much like I went over with you and and just shared with you a few moments ago. And the truth is uh, that there are some requests that have come to us that we feel like have come from God uh, that we would like to be able to give to But as we look at it all, we don't really know how uh, we could give to these opportunities, that we just really don't have the money. But we know that we need to give to these. And so rather than say no, um, the elders, we gathered around a table and we prayed and we finished and we confidently agreed that God is calling us to respond to these opportunities right now. And rather than saying no to them, uh, we believe that God said to us, I want you to take it before the people. 
And I want you to tell the people about it and give them an opportunity to respond. And so I'm going to tell you about three opportunities, three unique opportunities that have come up over the last few weeks real quickly. The first one is that we have an opportunity right now as a church uh, to make an investment in this facility. Now, I want you to know this. I have no desire for Genesis Church to own uh, or even lease a big fancy building. All right? Uh, That's not my desire, and I don't think it's really the desire of this church. We want to invest in people, and our desire is to make this facility that God has given to us the very best facility that it can be for welcoming people every single week. And so with that, we have an opportunity right now to make some investments into this facility at a pretty great rate thanks to some volunteers. Uh, In a few weeks, uh, Grace Community Church, which is kind of a big brother to Genesis, uh, they are sending 50 volunteers to our church on a Saturday just because they want to do something for us. And uh, they came in here and met with me and and some of our staff recently and just kind of walked through and pointed out some opportunities, some different things that they could do. We didn't ask them. This was something that they offered to us. Uh, This is something they want to do. And truth be known, we'd love to do some painting. Uh, We need to fix some lights and some ceilings. Uh, We'd love to do some landscaping uh, on our main sidewalk as you come into the building just to make it a little more inviting, a little more attractive to to new people that are walking in. And we would like to put some new carpet uh, in our pre-K area. Now, we keep that carpet cleaned. Uh, We shampoo that carpet. We vacuum that carpet. Uh, But the truth is, with all the kids crawling around on the floor, we'd love to do something a little bit nicer. Uh, We'd love to put some different carpet in there. So we have this free labor opportunity. But to do what we feel like uh, would be a great investment right now would take about $5,000. And we just don't feel like that extra is there. But this is where we meet. And chances are that you are inviting people to come here. And again, we have no desire to put an IMAX theater in or an indoor water park in our church one day and invite people here because our church is really cool. We just want to do the best that we can with what we've got. We want to invest in people. And that means doing certain things to invest in our building. There's another opportunity before us. Uh, I know that most of you have gotten to know Esperando Pierre. Uh, Esperando has been a regular speaker here the last few summers. He's a missionary from Haiti. Um, For those of you that don't know, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And Esperando leads Nehemiah Vision Ministry and his team, and they work out of Haiti. It's made up of a church and school and a home for orphaned uh, children. And we have an opportunity to get involved. Uh, In a couple of weeks, Mike Jackson, one of our elders, and I will be traveling to Haiti for three days. Uh, We've been invited by Esperando to come along with a a small group of pastors from the Indy area uh, to see the ministry there, to see the people, uh, and to pray about how we can get involved as a church. Now, I already know the answer to the prayer. I believe that God started that a few years ago when He introduced us to Esperando. God's getting us ready to be involved with the ministry in Haiti. And uh, my hope, my prayer is that in 2010, we will begin sending short-term mission teams to help with that great work that God is doing in that poor country of Haiti. But I know that when we're down there a couple of weeks from now, we're going to see firsthand some immediate needs that need to be done with that school or that church or with people's homes. And I just wonder how awesome it would be to see a project down there and to go, you know what, Genesis is going to take care of that one and to give you the opportunity to respond to something like that. And so it's going to take some money to do something like that. But again, I believe that God can provide. The last thing is this. We've got another opportunity. Uh, It's a little more urgent, a little more time-sensitive than others. I have a friend. Genesis has a friend, a guy by the name of uh, David Ziegler. Uh, He's planting a church uh, near downtown Indianapolis in an area called Fountain Square. 
Now, Fountain Square is one of the poorest areas uh, in the urban area of Indianapolis. Uh, it's, it's a poor, again, a poor area of the city. The church has already been meeting there for several months. That's a church called The Porch. Uh, they recently were able to re- acquire an old, dirty uh, building, vacant building, where they can now meet, you know, kind of like what this one used to be for us. Uh, but here is the problem. They don't have any working restrooms. And so for a couple of months now, they've been meeting on Sunday without working restrooms. Now, that's one way to keep the sermon short. You know, I mean, you've got to get people out of there. All right? Um, but think about it. I mean, how often can you continue to invite new people and children to come to your church? You know, but they believe that God's called them to help people find their way back to God. And so they're meeting even without restrooms. So come and don't drink a lot before you get there and be ready to hold it, you know? But they came to us just a few weeks ago with a specific request and said, would Genesis Church be willing to make an investment of $3,500 so that we can get our restrooms up and running? And I believe we need to do it because God has given us this great facility. And I believe we need to make sure that that church in Fountain Square has some restrooms. Now, would we be willing to make an investment in the work that God is doing to help people find their way back to God, even in the inner city of Indianapolis? And so my question for you is, would you like to be a part of any or all of this? You know, just to make it easy for you this morning, as a part of your bulletin too, you got an envelope. It just simply says celebrate on it. And it's simple. Here's what we're asking. Would you be willing to consider making a gift over and above what you typically give to the ministry of Genesis Church? We can help the porch get some bathrooms. We can do some great work in Haiti. We can just get started there. We can make an investment right here in our own facility as needed so that we can continue reaching people with this great message. You know, you can give your gift this morning. Maybe you know exactly what you need to do. We're going to take the offering in a few minutes. You know, maybe you need to walk away from here today. You need to talk it over with a spouse. You need to pray about what you can do. You know, you can give next week. Our goal is that by Sunday, October the 11th, we want to know, could we raise an additional $10,000 over and above what we typically give to help do some awesome things? And I can't think of a greater way for us to celebrate God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, and then I'll close, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I'm gonna invite our host team to come forward right now. Uh, we're gonna celebrate communion together. Let, let me say this before, I, before we uh, take communion. Um, again, I don't want you to feel in any way pressured. If you're feeling pressure to give, don't give. That, that's not the right response, you know. Uh, you do what you need to do. But, but I want to invite you to give. I want to invite you to be a part of something that's greater than even just this church. Uh, and how awesome to invest in what God's doing. Our, our host team's coming forward right now. We're going to finish up with communion and sing one final song and then take our offering. And uh, as they walk down the aisle right now, they come um, with a cracker. And they're coming with a, a cup of juice. And in just a moment, you'll hold it in your hand. We celebrate communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've put your trust in Him, no matter what church you attend, we want to invite you to celebrate communion with us. If if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never made that decision, um, please don't feel weirded out by this time. You know, we're not going to call you out, just pass the trays on past. And 
you can just kind of observe and, and ask questions of yourself and where you are in your own life right now when it comes to God. But we get to participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ when we celebrate communion together. And, and here's the awesome thing about taking communion together as a family and as a church. Um, we don't take it out of guilt. Uh, we don't take it out of regret. Uh, you get to celebrate as you take this today. You get to celebrate as you're reminded, as we're reminded of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. You know, on the night before he was crucified, you know, Jesus was sitting with his closest followers, his disciples, and he did something that was a little unusual, a little unordinary, and he went to this table and he took a loaf of bread and he took a thing of wine and he took the bread first and he broke it so that they could see it and they could watch the bread crumble to the table. And he said, as I break this, uh, it's a symbol of my body and how it will be broken for you. And I don't think they completely understood what was happening in this moment, but the significance of the moment, you know, the memory, the lasting impression that that would leave on their lives, I mean, they'd never be the same. And then Jesus, he, he took the wine, which he had at the time, and he poured it out and he said, this wine, you can see the redness of it. It's a symbol of my blood and how I will shed my blood for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a new covenant. And they all participated, and a couple of days later, it all started to make sense. Well, you and I get to take it this morning because we know what it means. It means that Jesus Christ died on our behalf, that he came back from the dead, and that we have hope and we have life today, and we can celebrate that because of what he's already done. I want to invite you to take your bread right now and to take it and be reminded of Christ's body broken for you. juice as a reminder of Christ's bloodshed. Our God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ, and we celebrate his death and his life today. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your mercy, and we celebrate you this morning and every day of our lives, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.